Surprise! Simply Trade listeners. Every Sunday, we're going to spice things up with a shot of adrenaline pumping news. We know you come to Simply Trade for top-notch education and insight and knowledge straight from trade professionals. But let's face it, the world never stops spinning and things happen every week that affect our daily lives. So we're bringing you the biggest stories in the trade world, served up fresh and hot with a side of entertainment from your favorite hosts, Andy and Lalo. I'm Anik and I'll be moderating this news show. So let's get it all started. Um, we have a few articles to talk about, specifically three that I've chosen that we also put on our social media. Um, they're interesting to me, but if you want to choose our articles, please go to our LinkedIn and like them and we will choose the one with the most likes to come on to the podcast. But our first one that we're going to talk about today will be, so there's been a lot of stealing around the cargo areas and we just want to dive deeper and I want to ask Lalo and Andy what they think about the certain situation and how we could avoid those things and why do they even occur. So in the article, it says that the cargos are backed up. And so it's easier for people to just, you know, go in and take something. I'm sure it's not that easy, but, you know, that's what they make it seem like in the article. And so we're going to dive deeper and see if we could figure out a solution or what they think about the whole situation. So let's kick it off. Well, you've got cargo theft, and, and well, that's one of the things that we're looking at. So that, that's where you, when you're uh, stealing all this, it's cargo theft is what we're talking about there. So, <laughs> yeah, and and to you and to the article's point, um, sitting cargo is like a sitting duck. I mean, yeah, of course it's going to be more susceptible to theft. So, I don't know, Andy. I guess I'll I'll let you. Say something, and I guess well, I can riff off of you or however okay. you want to do this. So go ahead. Well, I will say <laughs> this is one of those things where <clears throat> regardless of the mode of transportation, and, and Lalo, you, you hit the nail on the head. If your cargo is sitting, it's vulnerable. So uh, you have situations where uh, freight that's moving via ocean, it comes into a port, it's in the containers, it comes off. If it's sitting there for long periods of time in different uh, yards, then, you know, it's going to be vulnerable. If it's uh, transported uh, via piggyback off of a, a truck, then onto rail, and you're sitting in a, a rail yard and all that, again, it's going to be vulnerable. Um, and then whatever other modes you've got, even on the air cargo side, if, it, if you've got freight that comes in and, and uh, is pulled off the side, uh, and, and it sits, it's vulnerable. We all know that. Okay, so here's the deal. One of the things to look at is give thought as far as international, you want to streamline your clearance. Don't wait till freight arrives to deal with an exception. Look at it ahead of time. And there's all kinds of things you can do that with that. But, I mean, getting the information correct up front, getting the entries transmitted uh, before arrival, getting uh, if there's any entry docs required kind of a thing or, or whatever customs wants to look at or to even examine it. You're going to know that ahead of time. The other is work on a plan where you're, from a compliance perspective, you need to be reaching out to your transportation side, risk management slash security, um, and even possibly your sourcing folks. 
and develop a uh, you know a, a to minimize risk a, a cargo security supply chain plan, uh, whatever you want to call it, right. and and look at that because you may need to work on developing a strategic plan to change your physical route of your freight. Now you may still move it ocean, let's say, but you may want to come through the Panama canal and come up through the Gulf, or you may want to take the back door and go around to the Eastern side of the U S or whatever the case may be. But what do you think there, Lalo? Well, um, and then on my side, I mean, on my notes that I, I try to do as much research as I can. And, and of course, based on experience, but one of the things that came to mind even though you're not, and and I guess I'm going to put a trade angle on this. Uh, obviously, it's trade cargo, but I'm going to put a trade compliance angle to this and say, you know, even though you're not CTPAT certified, maybe adapting some of those practices will help you. You know, right? I mean, you you're you're vetting your 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 drivers. Even I mean, part of the article talks about how some of the um, some identity theft, like people come up and um, pretend they're the driver when they're not the driver and they take the cargo, right? I mean, uh, if, you are, if you are CTPAT certified, that should never, ever happen. So, so you're not CTPAT certified, so why not do that, right? I mean, so it's just things like that that I'm thinking of more on the... Again, I'm not saying everybody should go and be CTPAT. I mean, and uh, I, although an advantage of being CTPAT is you're going to go through the, the... There's no delays at the border. I mean, you're going to go in faster, right? You're front of the line type uh, type scenario because uh, you are CTPAT certified. So that avoids your cargo just sitting there, you know? So anyway, so those were my thoughts on that. And, and uh, again, just trying to add a takeaway on, on compliance of some sort. Taking so. notes. <laughs> BCT Pat certified. I wrote it down. <laughs> but part of that comes into minimizing the loss to the company through, you know, insurance, your cargo insurance and, and things of that nature. And, and if it's uh, bonded freight, well, then your, your continuous bond may be in jeopardy or, or uh, hit and, and all that. So we are looking at uh, having actually on that one, we're going to be doing a show here in the future uh, with some folks from Roanoke that uh, are going to talk about like marine insurance and, and cargo insurance, as well as then uh, on the bond right. side of things. So keep tuned on that one. So as we uh, look at that, so. So we went from cargo theft to, I mean, extensive issues internally, right? So, I mean, there's so much to it. Moving on, we got a second article, which is that the U.S. goods in trade deficit widens as exports decline. So I know this is a much deeper issue than um, the headline even expresses. Um, as to jobs and whatnot. And I kind of want to dive deeper into that as I don't even fully understand it. So how does this affect the population? Like what can people expect from this? Job losses. <laughs> right. Which the U.S. does not need. <laughs> well, I was just going to say is that just putting things in perspective, for every billion dollars worth of trade, it equates to roughly 10,000 jobs. So when you're talking about trillions of dollars of, of or, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars of uh, um, trade, then you're, you're talking, you know, 
tens of thousands, uh, hundreds of thousands of jobs, maybe close to a million uh, in, in jobs. The other thing, too, to look at this, uh, putting it in perspective, the average, this is a few years old here, so when I was looking at this, the average percentage of, uh, of the top world economies, uh, the average percentage of exports tied to their economy was, I think, around 8.7%. So in other words, just on average, a country would spend 8.7% of their economy or GDP, gross domestic product, was tied to exports to uh, goods out of that country to other parts of the world. The U.S. was running about 2.8 to 3%. Um, and so, I mean, we would almost double if we just went up. Well, we would more than double if we uh, increased our exports. But here's the point. is just putting things in perspective is as we import more goods, on the surface, that's great because in, in you're thinking, well, we're getting cheaper goods abroad and whatnot. The other question comes into play, though, is it may be at the sacrifice of U.S. jobs for exports. So as you look at that, you have to look in, and do a further analysis to say, what countries are we buying more goods from? Is it still China or are their goods being... Uh, people are are moving away from China to other countries. That kind of stuff needs to be looked at and broken down to do an analysis to see what you want to do. Yeah, and how could we view this in the future? Like, will this get better? Are we just accepting that this is the way it's going to go down? Or do you think we're making an effort to change this in the future? What are, what are you guys' perspective? Well, I mean, well, I think, I mean, I, honestly, this this story pops up almost every month. <laughs> I mean, we're we're usually at a trade deficit, so um, it's not alarming news. Um, I mean, how do you stop it or how do you prevent it? So that's part of the notes that I took down. Um, Andy had a lot of great um, economic and uh, and fiscal information. Which is like above my head because I mean that's the reason I majored in computer science and because <laughs> I'm more <laughs> I'm more of a number numbers and 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 I'm not an economics person but anyway um, on the customs or on the trade side of it I mean the only thing I see and of course this has a lot Andy's going to probably comment a lot more on this and and again we can even have a whole show on this but maybe we should I mean, how do you prevent this I mean. Yeah, we we probably could. I mean, and again, if you're listening and you want to add to this, I mean, heck, call us and we'll we'll add you to the show, and we'd be more than glad. But the things that I'm thinking of, um, logically, I guess in the in the trade world is you do more trade agreements to make it easier for American goods to enter into other countries. Um, you put tariff barriers for for products coming into the U.S. I mean, but. Of course, one affects the other, and you know, again, the economics of things and everything. I'm just being very simplistic level here, and and of course, it, it this can snowball into a bunch of other stuff. Which, again, I'm just I'm just adding my opinions as far as how how that can tend to be resolved. You know, obviously, but but um, I don't know where where do we go from here. That's well, the question, let, let me offer this: is that one the global economy is uh, you know everybody's kind of 
hurting right now because fuel prices have obviously jumped significantly up. In the U.S., we've got a major inflation problem. There's inflation uh, rates hitting all around the world. Um, with that, as a company that is looking to expand their markets internationally, in situations like this, you're going to have to work a little harder. You have to look at it and, and consider this is where now your marketing departments, folks, you need to reach out to your import-export compliance folks. Again, your transportation, your sourcing right. is another one, but your compliance folks have a good idea of some things going on or they can check it out. Case in point, if we want to sell goods in Italy, are there any, you know, import or export restrictions in going in there and right. things of that nature? And, and again, develop a strategic plan in that. But you're going to need to, when you're looking at from a marketing and sales perspective, you need to look at your current markets that you're dealing with. And, and I would start with uh, countries that if you're expanding internationally, look at countries that already have a U.S. trade agreement with or a trade agreement with the U.S. Secondly, uh, consider going in and, and seeing what you can do if you're already in that country to penetrate those markets further. Third is look to say, are there any new markets that you need to try and penetrate? All of that comes back into stepping back, having a roundtable discussion with some folks. And if you've got a couple of ideas, it's going to take time to look at that. So don't think you're going to sit down in a meeting and come up with a definitive answer. So it'll take time, but Exactly. And that's a, that's a good question. What do we do about it? It's you're going to have to work a little harder to try and look out and and uh, see <laughs> where the markets are for your goods. Looks like we need a full episode right. on this, guys. So, um, this, anyone, yeah. call us, please, and, and, <laughs> if you have anything. And, and I was going to add. And, and before we go on to the next question, um, one of the last points that you made, Andy, was about um, competing in, in, in global markets and stuff. We did just air the, the episode right before this one that came out this past Thursday was with Leslie August, and that's exactly what we talked about. Okay, so the next article we're going to talk about is the U.S.-Japan deal on electric vehicle battery minerals. So the reason why this article stuck out to me um, was because, you know, electric cars are becoming top-notch in the U.S. Everyone wants to drive it now because you don't have to spend thousands of dollars on gas as gas prices are still in the loop. Um, so we kind of want to talk about this deal and how it is going to affect the industry and if it's going to bring the U.S. to another level or what does that mean? What do we see here? What's the vibe? <laughs> Lalo, you want to start our comments on that one? <laughs> yeah, well, um, in 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 my notes and in thinking of this, I mean, it was just like, I guess it's also kind of like a can of worms. I mean, it's something new, so it's kind of hard to fully determine what the impact might be. But I mean, on the surface, what I see is um, just answering to or or finding other sources of um, materials and, and uh and supply chain uh, for these materials um, other than traditional routes, you know, meaning uh, I think Andy, and you'll probably comment on this, but uh, you, you mentioned something about most of them being sourced out of Africa through um, by way of China, you know, so 
um, trying to kind of get us out of there. And personally, I can say, you know, um, it, it, part of what I see here is that they do want to reduce the the supply chain um, like delays and 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 not run into the issues that we had back when there was COVID, like into 2020, 2021, where we had, for example, the the chip delays where where cars were not being delivered uh, because I mean all the car lots were empty, <laughs> you know, and so because of the the because of that uh, uh, shortage. Well, it's <clears throat> what you know. Part of this is hopefully going to help with the reduction of cycle times in the supply chain, but. On the same token, I will say that, um, it, as you just talked about Africa, actually, if I'm not mistaken, 75 to 80% of the uh, raw materials used to manufacture uh, uh, batteries for EVs um, come from Africa. With that, uh, there's some that, you know, different parts of the world and different uh, areas that are manufacturing. The issue here is going to come down to um, the effect that this Japan-U.S. trade agreement can come into play. I'm not really, <coughs> with with all of this, both the U.S. and Japan, Annick, I'm catching your cough. <laughs> I know, everyone is coughing. This is the sick <laughs> podcast now. Uh, I'm telling you. Okay, um, keep going. It's that time of year, yeah. Um, but... Uh, U.S. and Japan are not major manufacturers of batteries as far as EV batteries at this point. Saying that, I will also say I, I'm going to be watching this and looking to see what the the effect is. It appears the, the crux of this is that U.S. and Japan are agreeing to not put in uh, restrictions for exporting raw materials if they're coming out of Japan or coming out of the U.S., um, so with that said, I will also say that if there are any experts out there in particular with the EV industry, uh, battery manufacturing and all that, let us know. We, we could, uh, talk a little bit more on this because the other scenario here is the cause and effect. If this is positive, great. Let's see how it plays itself out. If it is just two small players trying to come up with an agreement in the, in the overall, it's like putting uh, taking a uh, a thimble of water out of a great lake. It's not going to do much. So you know, <laughs> let's put it in perspective. Is right. is this a good thing? Bad thing? Not sure yet. Right. And one of the last things that I guess I want to throw in there is, from my understanding, is that it'll give definitely um, the Japanese automakers access to the seventy five hundred dollar um, tax credit that the United States has for uh, buying electric vehicles in the U.S., which is only my understanding, again, someone can correct it, correct me, but my understanding was it's mostly um, eligible for North American produced vehicles. Right. And by, by, by adding this agreement, it opens the market up to Japanese vehicles now, can now um, take advantage of that $7,500 credit. And they're not standardize that. Here. Well, we'll be monitoring this. And this was a great first news show, I feel like. I feel like I learned a little bit. I feel like we discussed a few things. <laughs> I hope people... Okay, my questions are fairly easy, okay? Because I don't really know anything about trade. I know some of it, but I have like regular person questions. So I hope you listeners got a little more intake into the trade news and what um, that means for 
us people and also trade professionals as well. <laughs> but I feel like this was a great intake for me, um, which I really enjoyed. So if you do want to have an impact on this podcast, you can like our um, our news articles that we share with you every day on our Global Training Center LinkedIn profile. So you can like it and the most likes the article with the most likes will be featured on the show and we will talk about it. So hopefully it's the most interesting one because I want to learn something every day and I don't want to be bored. <laughs> um, so thank you again. Thank you, Lalo. Thank you, Andy. This was a great show and I'm so glad you guys have me on here because I've always wanted to be part of the show and now I am Excellent. on this little segment, <laughs> which is so fun. Um, so thank you guys so much. And um, we hope to see you soon and follow, share and subscribe. We're in all platforms. Bye. Simply Trade is not a law firm or an advisor. The topics and discussions conducted by Simply Trade hosts and guests should not be considered and is not intended to substitute legal advice. You should seek appropriate counsel for your own situations. These conversations and information are directed towards listeners in the United States for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only and should not be substituted for legal advice. No listener or viewer of this podcast should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information on this podcast without first seeking legal advice from counsel. Information on this podcast may not be up to date depending on the time of publishing and the time of viewership. The content of this posting is provided as is. No representations are made that the content is error free. The views expressed in or through this podcast are those of the individual speakers, not those of their respective employers or Global Training Center as a whole. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this podcast are hereby expressly disclaimed.